Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Meals and Tennis Park of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Having me as always, my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, in the middle of Madrid. Uh, first time, is it the 10-day format with this, Steve? Is this the first time they did it? Um, I know Rome is too. What are your thoughts on the 10-day? I kind of like it for these. I, I don't like it as much, to be honest. I'm glad we, we, we so often agree. This one, we have a slight disagreement. No, I mean, listen, it's building this week, but it, it ends up being closer to two weeks. It's just a long time for the tournament to unfold. The advantage, in fairness, to the promoters, it's better for the players because Zarev yes. had a marathon match. His opener went about three hours and 20 minutes. And then he had the day off to recover, and he wins one in love. So there are benefits, you know, when they're playing in the one week, one thousands and they have a long match like that, the next day you, you can be a killer. So and I we've think, seen that. And we've seen that with players results in that when they so don't have a rest. Yeah. So for the players, I get, it. and for the promoters to have more days, men and women, much longer event. I understand, but I think for, for the excitement, there's nothing like the one weekers where it really, it just, it, it's, it's extraordinary because maybe a Djokovic or a, or an opera starts on on Wednesday and then they're going to play every day after that. Yeah. And suddenly you move from the 32s, the 16s, the quarters, and it's just unfolding before your eyes and it's, it's exhilarating. But yeah, I bet if we vote, I bet if we took a vote of the players, they probably went to 10 days because of what you just said, easy recovery, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, I think. But we'll see. So, Hey, just for, for listeners purposes, we're recording this Monday evening. So, um, We've had about what? It started Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my six days, five and a half. Uh, no, six full days. The matches are done for today. So six full days of tennis. Um, obviously, the bigger matches now towards the uh, end of the tournament are going to come this week. We'll do another episode once it's over to wrap it up. But if it's okay with you, Steve, I'll just throw some names out, throw some things that have happened over uh, the, the past week with this tournament, and we'll, we'll go from there. Sound good? Sure. Sounds great. The, the first person I want to uh, I want to talk about, and, and he's not getting a lot of publicity, he's not playing that well to get a lot of publicity the last couple of tournaments, is Casper Ruud. And we know Casper, French Open finalist last year. Yeah, yes, he lost to Rafa. That was pretty much expected, but he did get to the finals um, of Roland Garros last year. He loses in the third round in Barcelona, and he loses in the second round um, of this tournament in Madrid. Cause for concern, or will we see him make a run in Roland Garros, you think? Well, he's got one more shot in Rome to try to get his confidence back. But I, I have felt like he's been carrying a heavy burden. It's been a big weight on his shoulders the whole year. First, protecting the final round points in Miami. Then knowing that up just down the road is going to be at the end of the clay court campaign is going to be Roland Garros, which is a ton of points to protect. And then at the end of summer, going back to the U S open, you know, where he lost to Carlos in the final. So I think that's a lot that I, I, it hasn't been a positive for him. You try to get those ranking points out of your mind, but I just feel like he's playing tight and he's, he's a much better clay court player than he's showing us right now, but there's still time. There is time. If he had a good roam, could get say back to the semis, then, then maybe we can see another decent run at Roland Garros. Highly unlikely he's back in the final, but I'd like to see him at least make the latter stages and be at uh, the, perhaps get to the quarters interesting to see and we'll see how he does uh moving forward i have to say my guy musetti who i think i publicized last week as a potential wild card to pick uh for a deep run not to say to win it but for a deep run in roland garros 
he lost in the first round. And maybe that's a reason why guys like him are ranked where they are. Cause it's, a, you know, it's too much up and down. He's had great wins. He's had some tough, tough losses to, you know, the Novaks of the world. Um, he's really dangerous on clay, but again, just the, the consistency is the problem with him, right? It is. But in fairness, this event is unlike any of the others. It's unlike Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Rome, and it's much faster. It's the altitude. It's the thin air. A lot of players, you can see them struggling to control returns that they normally would gauge much better and keep in play, and they're hitting them a foot or two long. And so I feel like, let's see what Musetti does in Italy. Again, you know, that, that you have the reprieve. You have the chance to get and, and Rome's conditions are quite similar to Roland Garros's conditions. So... I, I, you know, he, he could well come round again. You know, I, I don't put too much stock just on this week with Rude. It's different because this has been a cumulative thing with him where he's just not, hasn't played well for the most part the entire year, one good, one really good tournament. And that's been it. Well, I want to talk about two players that have come back from injury. They both lost, but boy, it was good to see them on court. Both Sebastian Corda, he lost his first match, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Again, that was his first match since his great run in Australia where he beat Medvedev. And then Bianca Andreescu, I, I think we both thought she was going to be out a lot longer than what she was. She also lost, but it was good, again, to see both those players on the court. Tennis is better for having them playing and not on the sidelines. Yeah, I hope that Bianca, it looked like to me, I, I didn't get to see that match, but I saw a ball of that one on live scoring. It looked like she had a set in 5-2 and it got away, which is too bad. It is nice that she's back so soon. None of us expected that. So in her case, yes. And your other, sorry, your, your first one was? Corda, Sebastian Corda. Corda, well, yes, yeah, Sebastian, understandable. That's just the kind of match you do lose in your first one. But, you know, it, it's probably two tiebreakers going his way if he's more match tough. So I'm not right. concerned. At him, I still think we're going to see his best tennis from Wimbledon on, most likely from the hard courts uh, once Wimbledon is over. Even but by that period, he's going to have a lot of matches and hopefully not injured again. And we'll see his best tennis. We'll see something that resembles, I hope, what what he showed us in Australia. A match that I would think, and a lot of viewers would think, would go on later in the event was Paula Bedosa versus Coco Goff and Steve. Paula beat Coco six three six zero, and I've been I've been talking about this with Coco. And let's let's take a step back here, okay? When I'm talking about Coco, it's all relative. Coco has had an amazing career. She's super young, amazing career. We're talking when there's any criticism at all towards her game. It's we're measuring her up against the very very elite of the game. So I want to make sure everyone understands that we're holding her to an elite standard, which is what she would want us. To hold her to. Um, it's getting against these top players, Steve. It's becoming more common, and they all know the game plan. Paul, it's no secret. And Paula even talked, talked about it in the post match conference. She knew exactly what she was going to do. She was going to go after that forehand, go after that forehand, and go after that forehand. And the best players in the world can dictate to her forehand with some pressure and make Coco come up with stuff time and time again that maybe she's not comfortable doing against maybe lesser known players. Um, this is becoming a little bit too common for me to see in these big matches with Coco. Yeah, no, it's worrisome. It's worrisome. I mean, but I, I don't think it is just a matter that they hit through her on that side or that they blast away to the foreign always. They can get it with the high looping shots too. When sometimes when she has to generate her own pace, she really struggles. 
Now it looked it not, the forehand has never looked worse than it did against Bedosa. Bedosa was wise to pepper away at that side, and I, I hope that it, it still gets back to my hope being that if the file they bring somebody in that can really and they spend that they they t- put away put aside a block of time whether if they don't think they can do it till after the U.S. Open, fine. Then maybe take most of the fall off and really and spend that time almost exclu- exclusively on the forehand and get some get somebody who's really technically technically sound, a coach that's that's so good on the mechanics that they can hopefully make some inroads with her because it's been glaring. I don't, she doesn't double fault the way she once did. That's nice to see that that's disappeared, but the forehand seems more vulnerable now than it's, than, than it's ever been. Right, and she's got, a, you know, her whole career ahead of her, so hopefully she, you know, will improve on that side. And again, she's already accomplished so much, and uh Let's see if she can she can work out that forehand and and see what she can do because I think there's a lot of high hopes for uh, for her um, from everybody in the tennis world, including us. And uh, by no means is this a finished product, but it's becoming a you know a, a quite common when she plays the best players in the world of what they're going to do to try to beat Coco. All right, yeah, a fun oh, go ahead. five years in the upper echelons here. I should say, I mean, five years of playing the best in the world. Is that we all get impatient? And I'm sure she does too. And she did get to that Roland Garros final a year ago, which was a nice effort, a very kind draw, but she took full advantage of it. But uh, the, the expectations, she's just surrounded by high expectations, including her own. And why yes. not? But I think she handles it. I have to say, David, a lot of grace, a lot of dignity. I don't see her whining a lot. I don't see her complaining. She doesn't look miserable out there. She's she's very a mature, very, yeah, mature. Very, very mature, good disposition. So. I, I, I hope she can come out of this because she's, she's there's, there's so much appeal there. She's and so time appealing. is definitely on her side, Steve. Time is definitely on her oh, side. Oh yeah. yeah, but she's just got she as a person is so appealing. So I, it's hard not to be sympathetic to her. Well, I want to talk about a fun, fun, fun match: Dominic Team versus Stefano Sitsipas. And boy, was it good to see Dominic Team play like he had been playing. Pre-injury, I know he's his record is like oh and nine or something versus top ten players since the the comeback or something. But he played a heck of a match against Stefanos in that match. Stefanos wins seven six in the third. Dominic was a little sloppy in the breaker, but boy, what a match! And I, I think everyone saw on social media what Steph made thirty nine first serves in a row at one point. Yeah, he did. He did. No, his serve was incredible, and and even in the first set when he lost his serve once. And that cost him the set. Every other game, he was having, serving love games the rest of the time. Not, not surprising because it wasn't as if he was taking that much off the first no. serve. It wasn't like, a, you know, a, a Bielander strategy way back when against Lacan in the French finals where you knew Mats was just spinning it in, but he didn't want to hit second serves. And it was effective. But this was, these were standard first serves from Stefanos. So terrific effort on his part. You're right. It was a high, really enjoyable match. Two commendable characters in their way and uh you you felt for team you're right he made some errors in the tie break that's that's where the confidence is lacking he had three one early and then it eventually got away and he lost it seven five but it's still a step in the right direction that he can play a top five player that tight so now again you know he has one more opportunity uh, prior to Roland Garros and and let's see what he can do in Rome I mean I I think we're dead we we saw great stuff from him last fall, then a slump, and now he seems to be back on the ascendancy again. Yeah, 
There was, you know, for those tennis fans who may not have seen the match, if you can go to YouTube, um, maybe pull up the match. If you want to, if you want to watch one game only, watch that five all game in the third set. It was yeah. crazy. Team was serving. Um, Steph had like four separate break points. Team wound up holding, but it was just yeah. a great game. Ten minutes, I think it was at least ten minutes, but it was a great game to watch. Points, you know, point after point after point were really good. All right. That was team's shining moment. Obviously, defend them off there to get to the tiebreak, but obviously it wasn't enough. Uh, but I think for tennis fans who've been so familiar with both players across the last four or five years, I mean, it was it was it had the feeling of a at least a quarterfinal or semifinal, not an early round match. No, and what a what a great moment at the net too, where Steph went up to him and said, "Hey, you're back. Stick with it. Keep yeah. going." I mean, it was yeah. a real good sporting gesture uh, by Steph, and it tell that the the two. Both Dominic Team and Stefano Tsitsipas had great respect for each other. So always good to see. Okay, now we got to talk about Carlos Alcaraz. I'm going to leave this one to you a little bit. First match he played was a little dicey. Then he plays Grigor Dimitrov. Looked, uh, looked a lot better against Grigor. I'll let you kind of you know walk us through those first two, and then we have a fun potential rematch uh, coming up that we'll get to after. Well, he started with Rusevori, and Rusevori played really well. I have to say, he kind of shocked Carlos with his controlled aggression. He was blasting away full force. You would have thought it might be a little reckless, but barely making mistakes off either side. So he had Carlos completely on his heels for a set and a half. And Carlos would press a little bit, but the telltale sign was the first set. I think Carlos only tried two drop shots the entire set. That, I mean, that tells you that he was not in command, and he wasn't. And then the key game was that was Carlos was down five break points, serving at 2-3 in the second set, and he played brilliantly to get out of that. Saved almost all of them with winners. One serve and volley combination was typically – it was typical Carlos' big point propensity. It was terrific. And then he, he rolled on from there. But uh, that, was a, that was certainly a danger time for him. And then he was, he, he was cruising against Dimitrov, in his next match, and he went uh, down 4-2 in the second set, but quickly got the break back. And even after Dimitrov held for 5-4, Carlos swept the last three games at the cost of three points. So he's, play- he's playing well, but next up is Zara. That's going to be very interesting because we remember they met in the finals here a year ago, and then Zara may have been a bit tired, played the later match in the semis. Carlos had come off his big wins over over uh, Nadal and Djokovic, and he, and he won easily. But then when they went to Roland Garros, different story altogether, and Zarab won in four. So the, Carlos is going to remember that loss more than he's going to remember the win here. Whether that's enough to get him past Zarab, I don't know. But I, I, I feel like, once again, Zarab is closing in on his best form, and, and he loves this court. He loves these conditions. To him, the altitude, is it's to his liking. He likes the quicker clay court conditions. So I think we could see a really compelling round of 16 contest there. And for those that remember last year, you know, when, when Carlos beat Rafa and Novak, what you referred to earlier, um, those were tough, tough matches in the final against Avera. It was no match. Carlos oh, no. absolutely smoked him. It'll be no, interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this matchup goes. Carlos had played Novak in the afternoon, a much longer, uh, a very long, t- tight match went down. And it was a third set tiebreak, but he's much younger as well. And then Zara played in the evening and he complained later that he, he was a bit tired. And sometimes that happens with the schedule. If you get the later match, you're unlucky. But 
I would, none of us were really prepared for that reversal in Paris, given what we saw in Madrid. We didn't expect Zara to crush Carlos in not totally crush, but a solid four set win. Four sets. And, uh, you know, then he had that terrible misfortune, the awful injury against Rafa in the semis when uh, they were playing what was looked like was going to be a marathon match with Rafa winning the tiebreak in the first. And they looked like they were headed for a second set tiebreak. And that's when Zarev took the terrible fall that ended up keeping him out for the year. So this is going to be interesting. It's a match that could ignite Zarev again if he were to win it. He has a lot to gain by winning it. On the other hand, Carlos will be out for what I call friendly revenge. It's not personal. <laughs> it's not personal. It's professional. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, fun, entertaining match yesterday. It had a little bit of everything. Um, Fokina versus Holger Runa. Fokina yeah. wins 7-6, 5-7, seven, 7-6. Seven, seven, Again, it had a little bit of everything. And it seems to, uh, with both those guys, there's been stuff, not necessarily when they face each other, right? But I'm just saying in their matches when they play, there always seems to be a little bit something more than just the tennis at stake. Um Holger Runa is still playing good ball. I, I, I mean, he's you don't want to see him in your in your draw in the French Open. I'll tell you that much. Oh, no, I totally agree. Once again, there were issues. I don't know if it was cramps or exactly what was going on with him, but he, he was having problems. So was Davidovich Fakina near the end, too. They both had these physical issues, but it it was it was some pretty high quality stuff. And then at the end, David, Fakina, uh, he, he breaks for five, three, serves so the match plays a horrendous game. Let's him back in. Then at five all, he looked like he was dead at love 30. And he came, he just started wailing at every forehand and they all went in. It was a brilliant game that he played the whole on when he looked like he was headed out of the tournament. Then eventually he, it, despite seeing the trainer, he, you know, he, and, and, and uh, Runa holding on to get to that tie break. It was, it was Davidovich Fokina coming through an intense tie break at the end. So it was a, it was a nice to see him win it for the Spanish fans. Uh, I, I think he needed that match, actually, strangely, more than Bruno, who just come off a tournament win. He's fine. He's not going to be uh, – th- that's not going to hold him back mentally mm-hmm. at all. He'll get, get right on with it in Rome. As you said, nobody wants to see him. And he, as usual, as usual, he went down fighting. Yeah, two, um, two women's matches I want to talk about today briefly um, because it's a fun story. You got Mira Andreva, who was 15 years old. She just turned 16 I think it was yesterday or two days ago. She turned 16 during the tournament. She played Sabalenka today. Sabalenka won pretty easily, 6-3, 6-1. That's not surprising, right? But it's a heck of a story. And there was some good, uh, fun uh, social media content between her and Andy Murray when they were asking Andreva about what it's like being on the grounds and everything. And she she was, you know, in awe of seeing all the, the stars on the grounds. And she specifically meant, uh, she she specifically mentioned Andy Murray Andy Murray yeah. went back to her on social media. It was really fun. Um, interesting to see where she goes. Um, again, so, so young. And then we talked about earlier Paula Bedosa, who beat Coco Goff. She played Maria Sakri. Sakri now the ninth seed in this. Sakri, her results have still been a little up and down. So she's not as high as she was you know, last year. And I know she had a rough year in the slams. Sakri won that match in straight sets, Steve. 6-4, 6-4. I could see Sakari win in that match, but 6-4-6-4, I don't know if I saw that coming in straight sets. She had the upper hand from very early on. It was surprising because you're, you're playing Bedosa in Spain, and, and Bedosa fed off the crowd very nicely in, in when she dissected uh, Coco. 
so decisively. And you thought maybe that it was possible something like that could happen today. So all credit to Sakari for, for beating her. Paula went, is still not quite where she was. Both of these women were in the top three in the world, top two or three in the world, both. And then neither one has been able to get, they're both want to get back to that territory. And I think I, I, I like Bedosa's game. I still feel like she's, she will soon be there. I, I, I see it happening. I think maybe her upside might be higher. Sakari is always going to be immensely consistent. And that's how she climbed to near the top of the ladder was lots of semifinals and finals. She's only won one tournament, but boy, she's a great competitor and a smart one. And she handled difficult circumstances today. Uh, commendably. I'm laughing when we mentioned the Bedosa because I, because uh, once you mentioned her name, I went back, my memory uh, went back to Indian Wells final against Azarenka and which was an um, unbelievable match. Steve, to me, that feels like five years ago. I think that was when Indian Wells was in the fall. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. That was a great final. It was a terrific final. That's what started propelling uh, Bedosa toward the top. And then naturally she's had you have to live up to the laurels, so to speak. Right. And she, and it's been hard for her. And she's an intense competitor. But I, I think great to watch. I think both of them are great to watch. That was actually, I'm sorry we didn't get three sets just to see more of that tennis from Sakari yeah. and Bedosa. But Bedosa's got to, again, we'll see what, let's see what goes on in Rome and Paris and the rest of the year. I still think that she's got some, some big results ahead of her. So hey, so so let me ask you this: Next time when we do this, are, are, is uh, Sviatek and, and Carlos the champs here? Um, I I think Sviatek, yes, and I think likely I'm more sure of her for some reason, more confident of her. Not to say that I don't think I still see Carlos at this moment as the favorite to win the tournament, uh, but I could see potentially I don't know on a great day Zarev although I favor Carlos I could make him the favorite in that match and then perhaps losing to one of the guys on the other side no all things being equal Carlos wins the tournament but uh he, he's looked a little more beatable this week so far than he did at any time uh, in winning Barcelona yeah that's true all right so uh we're not even going to talk about Rome yet because we're just halfway through Madrid there's no draw it or anything like that the next time we speak we'll wrap up madrid and then by that time we may have the draw out we may want to wait to record to make sure we do have that draw just because there's out oh, just because of the depth in the men's and women's game right now there's going to be some amazing early round matches like there is every tournament like there is, like there was in madrid but we'll probably do this again on monday night and i hopefully the draw will be out by that time it should be um with that being said before we wrap it up any uh any last thoughts no, no, I'm looking forward. I always look forward to this stretch because we're, we're closing in on the French. So, you know, you see this one wind down and then suddenly later next week, we're starting Rome. And, and we, are, we still have the, 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 the question of whether Rafa will be there. We have the question whether Novak will be there. Novak with the elbow, Rafa with the hip. Uh, hopefully they both are, are able to play in Rome and get themselves well prepared for Roland Garros. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this stretch and hoping that both of them the two superstars will be back in the mix. Well, that, you know what, that that's interesting. You say that because so many years I would say to you, Steve, you could have anybody in the field, but I'm taking Rafa and I'm going to win majority of the time. I'm going to ask you with both. Now let's say they do both play Rome and uh, whatever they do what they do. Maybe they win a couple matches. Are they, I mean, they are not the favorites going just because of the lack of prep. I know this sounds crazy because you're going against the greatest clay quarter of all time and also arguably the greatest 
tennis player of all time, but those two would not be your clear-cut favorites at all going into the French Open just because of lack of match preparation. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I think Carlos will most likely be the clear favorite. Having said that, I look at Nadal and Djokovic a little differently. Nadal, obviously, it's his service. He's far and away the greatest clay court player of all time. He'd be going for a 15th French Open title. It's astounding. But in his case, he's had so much injury trouble since Wimbledon. I mean, it was amazing that he won the first two majors last year and he got through it and then the injury at Wimbledon. And, and ever since then, he's, you know, he, he got very little match play over the summer on the hard courts, very little in the fall as the season closed. Goes to Australia, loses in the second round, new injury, hasn't played since. That's an awful lot of baggage to carry into Roland Garros. Novak, it's a bit different. His schedule has been choppy because of the back, not taking the vaccine, not being able to play certain places like Indian Wells or Miami, but he's had a lot of success in, in the same period where Rafa has struggled so much. Novak won Wimbledon. Then he couldn't play the Open, then he, but he was pretty much unbeatable through the rest of the year. Only a couple of losses, and he wins the year-end championships, and then he wins the Australian Open at the start of this year. Then his troubles have started, have really been since the clay court season started with the elbow issue. But So I think if, he is, if, that, if he's able to put that injury behind him and play well in Rome, I think he's in a different mindset than Rafa, who's just played so little. And so in other words, I think it would be really crucial for Rafa, David, even maybe more so than Djokovic, although he does need the matches too. That Rafa needs a, he could really use like at least a semifinal showing in Rome, which is not <laughs> going to be not going to be easy. No, no, yeah, it's just the first time in a long, long time that we can say those two guys are maybe not a clear cut favorite to win uh, a respective slam. So we'll see. There's still a lot of tennis before um, we got we got Madrid, we got Rome, and then we got obviously Roland Garros. So. It starts a long road. This clay court season, you first start and you're like, whoa, there's a ton of tennis to be played. And it creeps up on you kind of fast. So um, some fun matches have already occurred. We got plenty of more fun matches to go all leading up to the big to the second slam of the year. Steve, we'll do this again next week. We'll have our winner in Madrid. We'll talk Rome. And then it'll be all prepped to, to French Open. Looking forward to it. Yeah, same here, David. I'm looking forward to it as well. And, and uh, we'll reconvene soon. See ya.